podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. It's 40-20 not live. It is cup final week. We're all excited. We're all off to Spurs um, on Saturday. Uh, among, uh, along with all the people who got free tickets yesterday. Well done to you. Um, just, just on that, Phil. I know rugby league, we do like to make a drama out of a crisis like the uh, legal and general commercial union. I can't remember which. But talk about, there are many things we can hit the RFL with a stick for. Quite rightly sometimes, and sometimes wrongly. Here's a case where the RFL are doing something good. Someone takes advantage of that and puts the code where they shouldn't. And then people get upset because someone's done something they shouldn't and blame the RFL. Is, yeah, is, that, the, is that the summation of the? Is that the summation of things? Pretty much, it's, it seems pretty fair. It's, it's a bit like the pitch invasions we've seen at football over the the last few days. That everybody knows it's wrong and you shouldn't do it, but society is now at a point where, oh, if, if you see the opportunity to get one over on the organisation, we'll um, we'll take that. And I, I suspect that again, some some will be. Um, unintended consequence that people will have seen that they've gone on a site and managed to get a, a ticket for free. I, 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 as you know, are technologically useless. I'm of an age where I shouldn't be able to push buttons and order things online or that kind of thing. So I'm not really sure the logistics of where fault would lie in terms of setting up the right kind of boundaries to make sure that only those who they were aimed at, which laudably was um, nursing and, and um, support staff and um and, and I think the forces as well were allocated a certain number, and, and that that's absolutely as it should be. But I think to 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 run the story as um, ha, you paid seventy quid for a ticket, but some people are getting it for nothing. It, it sounded to me more like uh, a, a technological glitch, and there is a case for saying that. Uh, some of the people that have got those free tickets when they turn up will be asked to prove whether they are. Um, you know, first responders or whatever it might be. I don't know whether that can physically happen. I don't know whether the stewards will be geared up to even think of that. But again, when you hear that you've got a ticket for free and it wasn't meant for you, I guess the moral obligation is to um, is to to return it. But uh, who am I to say we, we we don't pay to get into the game either? So it's very hard to take a position on this. I stood in the rain outside the tunnel on. on... Friday uh, to, to before speaking to the Leeds women. So I, I feel I've, I've paid my penance. And those interviews will come up later in the programme so we can give them to a bigger audience, um, apart from the quote in the paper anyway this morning. Uh, so that's the ticket thing. Doing. And should people be like, oh, why have you not, why have you not grilled Ralph Rimmer? Why have you gone down to wherever they live these days? And I'm, I'm more uh, annoyed about, you know, what if I'm St Helens or Warrington or um, Castleford and got a fine last week, why, why have I not said to the RFL, can we hold a day non-firework appreciation night and not get a fine, as Bradford have done. I hope all the money they've made from those shirts they've sold, all the profits go to the relevant charities. Otherwise, they are, in effect, profiting off the back of their own supporters' misdoings. But people say I'm anti-Bradford, so I'll be anti-Yorkie. So um, that won't be. Um, IMG. Um, we mentioned in an interview coming up with Colin Brown of the London Scholars. Um, everyone's excited because it means something's going to change in the future, Phil. But we haven't got a clue quite yet what. It's going to be interesting to see what happens to... to I mean, we mentioned Maurice Lindsay, obviously, in, in great depth last week. It'd be interesting to see what the reaction is to the plans that IMG come up with because they could be, well, widespread and 
I don't know what they're going to do. I, I, I'm all right speculating. I don't know what they're going to do, but it could be something that changes nothing or changes a lot of things. I think two two questions crossed my mind when I read the press release when it came out. One was 12 years is good. That's somebody that isn't looking for a quick investment return and realises that when they look at the sport, there's more to it that, that perhaps needs just looking at than being able to say, oh, it's the All Blacks, it's already an established brand, it's worth £78 trillion, pounds. Uh, you need some money, we'll have £28 trillion of that £78 million. It, It's not that kind of a deal. So I think 12 years is, is good. That's a commitment on both sides. I think the other thing that struck me was they mentioned all the right buzzwords about re-imaging and restructuring and, uh, you know, um, consolidating the commercial impact of the sport. And that they're going to take advice. And again, my immediate thought being um, the aged cynic that I am was who are you going to take that advice from? Because clearly, unless it's a very broad church and you're prepared to look at things differently, um, will you be given, be given the advice by the people that have taken us to where we are? In which case, um, what sort of change can you expect? There's also in the background that governance issue that who will have the final say, IMG come up with a report and um, yeah, we already know the questions. In fact, we already know the answers to those questions. It's just that going back to Maurice Lindsay, apart from probably in his time, we've never really been brave enough to try and address them. Um, will we this time or will there be some kind of um, governance blockage that stops IMG getting what they want? The more I think about it and, and talk to people in the game about it, the more I am absolutely convinced that whilst they bought the men's running game, that needs more time than anything else to realise a return on their investment. And there's a limited amount of change you can make. It will still be at the head of the queue when it comes to negotiating a TV deal. But I suspect they bought in predominantly to the international game, a very low level for a, a so-called major sport. Uh, bearing in mind that the RFL control virtually all of the internationals that are played in the Northern Hemisphere outside of a World Cup. Um, I think that they bought into the women's game, the wheelchair game, potentially PDRL and LDRL, but they bought into stuff that at the moment is an add-on for the sport. And I think what they've seen is the potential of um, you know the likes of the women's and wheelchair game that's been getting fantastic coverage on the BBC and, and Sky already and is going to get more with the World Cup. But at the moment, um, there isn't really a contract that covers all of that. It, it's almost, if we throw that in, can we have something else? I suspect as a broadcast uh, provider and also a negotiator of rights, they can see some real exciting um, monetary uh, possibilities and potential in that. Um, and, and if we take that on to the York v St. Helens women's game yesterday, um, that was one of the best games I've seen this season. And anybody who, you know, has looked at the women's game and said, I'm not sure it's at a level yet that you could, um, you could amortise it, watch that game. And what, what will strike you more than anything else is the absolute unbelievable quality of, firstly, the defence, which is unrelenting for the full 80 minutes and absolutely massive credit to York for that, but also the kicking game. You know, it's something that will develop over time. Um, but I thought for me, the best player on the pitch by an absolute mile, which included her brilliant kicking game was Tara Jane Stanley, the, uh, the York fullback, absolutely brilliant. Um, but if you're not sure about the women's game, um, it was on the sportsman. I'm sure you'll be able to uh, either catch the highlights or see a rerun of it. Um, I, I defy anybody watching this podcast to, to view that game and not be excited by the quality that we saw. 
Um, so I think IMG have looked at that and, and I wouldn't be surprised if they looked at the test matches between England and France at the end of last year uh, in the wheelchair game and thought, this is so marketable, um, unexploited at the moment. And, and I suspect that they'll get some commercial joy on that in the short term. They know they've got another year working on the men's running game. Nothing is going to change for 2023. So they need to get some advice. They need to get some proposals. We need to get that instituted for the 2024 season. And we need to sell that to broadcasters about what it's going to look like. But it doesn't have to be a finished product if you've got it for 12 years. It needs to be a a gesture of intent. And when we do speak to the scholars who clearly are, one, one of two things is going to happen. Either they're going to become a, community a super community club or they're going to be given some more finance to continue doing the the work that they're doing and that has to come from from outside because the rfl hasn't got any in the current data it'd be very interesting to see what they know and and what they would hope it did uh, that game <coughs> excuse me between york and st helens did further uh, my belief that they should just play each other all the time york saints and leeds this season because i don't think any human's getting anything out of anything else uh, great, as you said, great defence from York. Their physicality really uh, put the cat amongst the pigeons for St Helens. They got rattled. They were rattled in that game. You could see them losing their uh, call, which was interesting to see because for the last 18 months, they have been the standard bearers. But here they come. And now York have beaten them. First defeat since Leeds beat them in the semi-finals back in 2019. We've got an interesting competition. And the, the interesting thing is, going forward, when York play Leeds on the 5th of June, that's a massive game now. Because York will go in with massive confidence, but will they be overconfident against the Leeds side who tend to be level-headed? I don't know. I'm going to get pulled up over that comment, no doubt, now. But I thought it was a very, very good performance from York yesterday. You can't you can't take anything away from them whatsoever. I know people will say, Saints this, Saints that, no. No, no, no. That was a very, very good team performance from York. I was I was very impressed. Very, very impressed. And it's, and it's good that they've won, because otherwise we'd just be talking about Leeds and Saints all the time. And it's, it's good that there is a, a third wheel to this. The problem is, in the same competition, Leeds beat Huddersfield 60 points to four. You've written about it in the paper. I was sat next to you. There was no real competition in that game. I know Huddersfield scored a try, but that was it. Um, and the other worrying thing is in, in, in the second division, two big blowout scorelines there. Featherson beating Cass 56-6. Whiteon 86-0 over Wakefield. Those scores shouldn't happen in what is... The second division should be more even than the first because everything should be much of a muchness. I understand that. Obviously, Wigan and, and, and Huddersfield are, are, are a bit further behind Leeds and, and Saints and, and York. But in that second division, they shouldn't have those kind of blowout scorelines. And those are worrying. Hence why I said Wakefield, Cass and, and Feathers and Schumers. And, and that was pulled up on a comment by Simon Lenniger. Don't know who he is, but he said, just the women's question mark. Mm. Well, I think that there was 100 scored by London Broncos women as well in, yes. in Super and I think the danger is you might tarnish the brand Super League and, and clearly you have to then have discussions about um, how do you get more competitive games. Uh, I would say, um, and we'll have another programme in later in the week to talk about um, the Challenge Cup final and maybe even the men's game. So I think it's an apposite time to be talking about maybe women in wheelchair, but there was a very significant result in the Wheelchair Super League yesterday afternoon. Um, Halifax Panthers, who were top of the league and unbeaten, 
were beaten at home by London Roosters. Now, I think that's the Roosters' sixth game of the season uh, since they were formed. And the Roosters are an, are an amalgam of the best players in the South because, again, the issue that the South has is that, unfortunately, there aren't enough quality teams to have competitive games without huge distance. So it was decided at wheelchair level that because they'd had the Argonauts, because Medway were a force, but individually none of them were quite uh, going to uh, compete with the likes of Halifax and Leeds, um, Wigan now uh, that they've taken on Leyland, possibly even Catalan, um, who are going to be in the Wheelchair Challenge Cup final, that London Roosters should be born um, with access to the best players in the South. And to get a result like that at Halifax, um, that, that's massive. And, and that's coming a relatively short period of time. Now, I'm not saying that necessarily the women's game should have a, you know, a best of Southern region side to play in with York and St. Helens and Leeds. But, but all of this, I think, is something we need to look at because you will get more players playing if they can see something that they want to be part of. The danger is if there are too many blowout scores or it doesn't appear that uh, certain teams can possibly be as competitive at the moment as uh, perhaps we would like them to be. How in the short term do we bridge that gap? And if that is creating centres of excellence teams, for example, so the North East might have a you know, a, a, a women's team that is based of all of the best players playing for clubs, you know, from Durham up to the Scottish borders. I don't know whether that's feasible. I don't know what it costs, but I think that's what we need to be looking at. And the Roosters actually gave us a, a hint of how that might work if, um, if it, we're at such an early stage of development in both women's and wheelchair. We don't have to do it the way the men's game was done. And perhaps we shouldn't. No, I think that's the point. Is that we, we, I mean, we often talk about the the quality of the talent pool in men's rugby league, and we say there, prob- there probably isn't enough to fill the three professional leagues that we have without bringing over a load of third, fourth, fifth-rate people from uh, Australia. Um, in the women's game, you've got even a smaller talent pool because you've you've only play. There are there are less women who want to play rugby league than men in the north of England at the minute. I'm, I'm using the north of England as an example. I know we could use the whole country. And with wheelchairs, it's even a, a different kind of talent pool because even though it's an open sport for everyone, you still have to want to play it, and you may not even know it exists. So it's you are going to see blowout score lines. It's not to say that there aren't talented players at Wakefield or Castleford or whoever, Bradford, whoever, in the, in the Women's Super League. It's just, how do we develop them? And I'm not sure losing 86-0 to a team who are on your level or should be on your level is, is a good thing for anyone. But Well, you need you need a pathway. Um, it's, it's a word that's used a lot. Um but actually, you know, sometimes we don't define enough exactly what that means. And it could well be that, um, you know, uh, the West Yorkshire Wyverns, which is the best of Wakefield, Castleford, Bradford women, and those clubs still exist to bring more and more people through because the demand is going to be greater for... for I mean, women's and girls at community level is growing significantly. So, you know, Alston Raiders are getting more girls and uh, to go and see. After the game on uh, Friday at Headingley, which... You know, what wasn't the greatest spectacle unless you clearly were a, a supporter of one of the teams. I think the most encouraging thing was seeing all those Leeds players going down to the bottom of the South Stand and, and absolutely being mobbed by young girls who wanted their autographs, who wanted selfies taken with them, who are now starting to get shirts with those players' names on the back and recognise them. And, and in that respect, I think the women's game could be anything. But, I, you know, and I, I appreciate that, um, this is not in any way meant to um, have, have 
have a dig it at the RFL. I think they've done a fantastic job to develop it to where it is. But I think every so often you've got to stop and say, right, where are we? What are the things that we're doing well? Uh, what are our ultimate aims and ambitions? As in, at what point do we think we can genuinely win a World Cup? And whilst we might not win it in uh, this year, because we've seen how good the Australians and, and New Zealanders are, there's, there's no reason why we couldn't think we wouldn't win it in 2025. Um, so I just think you, you just have to say, well, we've got a pool of talent that is really good. How do we get more games like York and, and St. Helens? And, and and actually, you know, I think you could do it by making super teams. But, you know, whether that... And I don't think it's that unpalatable because, as I say, you, you're, not, you're not... The names may be familiar, as in they're the same names of the Super League men's teams, but I'm not sure that you, you haven't got licence to do whatever you want. And... And, and I'd love to see, um, you know, the, the combined strength of the South play against one of the best teams in the North. Well, we're not too far removed, and you can have a look on the Women's Challenge Cup on the base. I'm sure it has it on there. Thato Heath, Bradford Thunderbirds, you know, who you know have rebranded or whatever, were the strongest teams. And anyway, um, I need to pr- do something, so I've got to press some buttons. So while I press those buttons, uh, you can hear from Lois Russell and Phil's favourite player, and and I didn't realise this, she's from Wakefield, which, which makes it even better because you've got a proper Wakefield accent as opposed to my posh one. Uh, Danielle Anderson, after uh, Leeds beat Huddersfield in the Women's Super League on Friday at Heading. Well, that's a win. First win of the season in the Super League. What did you make of the performance out there? Um, we're really pleased with the second half performance. We spoke at half-time about, you know, we've got a lot of talent on the park, but I didn't think they were working hard enough. Um, they had a little bit of complacency, and I think they took a real um, disliking to maybe that, that little bit of, of talk about at half-time, and I think that they, they just came out and they wanted to put a performance on that we were happy with heading into the next round, but also for the fans that had turned out, because we were really, really pleased with the, the support they got behind us, yeah. So second half, really happy, but the first half, we needed to do a lot more. When you've got a lot of time in hand with the ball, is it hard to maintain the levels of intensity you'd like to see? Yeah, a little bit. And we and we spoke about half time. Everyone was happy to have the ball in hand, but then they weren't happy to sort of back it up in defence. It's dead easy to switch off, but it showed that we got a little bit complacent. And when we made the errors, or you know, had a penalty against us, we weren't defending well enough to stop them from from having some joy. So. Yeah, we just both need to have as much grit and determination in defence as they did attack, and I think that they showed that in the second half as well. So, obviously, you conceded a try, not happy with it. I'm not happy that we conceded, yeah, I'm not happy that we conceded that one. But that was one of the messages that went on um, in the first half is that they've got to take real offence to that four, that four points that were on early doors. So, yeah, um, yeah, we always want to pride ourselves with this defence, and it were a bit disappointing that one. 50th game for Courtney Winfield Hill, what has she meant, not just to the team, but the club as a whole over the time she's been here? You know, Connie's class, and I think that she was very good in that second half. Um, I think that she, I could hear her from where I was sat up in the stand. She was um, instrumental in just making sure that we were getting to the right points, that we were not switching off defensively. Um, and I think when we speak about talent working hard, she showed that in that second half that she was going to work really hard. Um, and she's a massive part of what we do. Um, I think she inspires all of us. Um, and she's just a great person to have around at the club. Um, yeah, we, we all love her around, and I think that you know that second half performance was good from her. I think one that she'll be happy with, um, and that we're happy with. But yeah, she's um, she's she's really really pivotal in what we do. You took on a team who last year almost brand new to the women's simply, not expected to, which won the shield. They're now in the top division. They've obviously got a lot of hard things ahead of them, but, but they, they didn't stop trying. 
No, they were they were they were resilient and they just kept going and kept going. And I think that they are our young side out today. And um, I think you know they probably have quite a few nineteens popping up into their into their ranks. They definitely had a few players missing from that team that we played in the open round of the season. So definitely a tough day in the office for them. But their coaches will be proud of the fact that they, you know they never took a backward step. Um, and I'm sure that you know the, all the scorelines work like that. I think they'll get a few bodies back. They had a tough game against York last, last week, and that'll have definitely made a difference. You know, we were coming into this fresh. Having that week off between the, the, the final and this week, was that more of a, a, a help for you, do you think? Yeah, I think so. I think um, you speak about trying to cut hangovers. I don't think we had an actual, you know, like a physical hangover, but it was just a lot of emotional, emotional energy spent on that. So definitely there's a lot of good because although we're productive with that first week after the grand final, it could tell that everyone were a little bit drained and, and spent. So it was good to get back to it this week in training and then and head, out to, head out this Friday. One random one. Emma Hayes, manager of Chelsea, lots of talk about her being linked with in men's football. Do you think there's ever a time we'll see a female coach uh, coming from the women's super league to, to men's rugby? Not so simply, but Chelsea probably one. I think it's just the same way as the game's growing. It'll be looking at professional players and we'll be looking at professional coaches. And um, you know, I don't think it's going to happen so soon. But I think that from my point of view, at least, I'm. I'm, I'm so supported by all the staff, both in the, in the performance department and, and the club, and just all over the club. Like, I can't speak highly about how much you support me, you know, linking up with them, going and shadowing at the men's training, speaking to the academy staff on the boys' side, scholarship and reserve. Um, they'll come in and do reviews with some of the players if you want an extra hand. So, from my point of view, the club just take it really seriously, and, and in terms of, you know, they put the faith in me, but everyone. Um, anywhere across the board of the club is willing to support us, so I'm really um, grateful for that, but happy that I probably hopefully will have a bright future in the game if I keep getting support like that. Finally, finally, big game on Sunday between the Saints and York, will be watching that one? Definitely, yeah, it's on the sportsman, isn't it? So yeah, I think it'll be a great game and hopefully it's um, a challenging one for both teams and you know, we'll be looking at seeing what we need to do because that's our next two games in the, in the competition. Well, this year it's not something that we're used to. We've had quite good weather, so for it to rain it did throw us a bit, but we just got over it quickly and stuck to us getting time. I'm guessing when you've been out for so long with injury, you don't want to play this week, do you? No, every game I get to play now is just a bonus and I'm grateful for every game that I will get playing. How was it out there this afternoon, uh, heading in, in front of a decent crowd which built obviously as the game went on? Yeah, um, we kept seeing the crowd flooding during the game, it was a really good atmosphere, it encouraged us, it made us play well, we, we played to the crowd, we played for ourselves and we come out with a win. Plenty of points on the ball, that must be pleasing for you. Yeah, really well, that, that was our aim to try and get as many points past them that we could, and we did it. Uh, really proud of everyone. But you can see the tries, you won't be happy with that. No, but it was just off our own mistakes, really, it was not really being aware. Um, next time we won't let that happen and stick on us players and what let them get past us. Does it can't bring yourself in control of the match to keep concentrating for the full 80 minutes of the match? Um, no, um, one thing we've got to not do is lose concentration because if we let that slack off then the other team picks up and that's something that we don't want them to do. We've always got to be in control. 50th game for Courtney Winfield Hill this afternoon. How important is she to the team? She's so important even on and off the field. Um, she, she's just a special person. Everyone's proud to have her there. Everyone's proud of her, of her, all, all her achievements and I'm, she's a really good friend of mine and I'm just pleased for her. And how is the knee after, was it three games you played or four games you played? Um, this was my fourth game. My knee's fine, I, I don't think about it. Um, I just, I'm just so happy to be back. That I just, that's in the past now, I'm going forward. The knee's not an issue anymore.
and having played in that Challenge Cup final a couple of weeks ago, how hungry does that make to get back to the, to the grand final this year and get some more silverware? Um, really, really hungry. I think that game were nail and nail. It were. It was just about who was going to come out on top, and unfortunately, it wasn't our day. But that's in the past now. We're going to aim forwards and hopefully get to that grand final and show them that we can win it. Exclusive interviews for 4020 TV from the uh, the bowels of Henningley Stadium from the medical room. Um, the men followed it, as it says in the paper today, rhinos prevail, but quality is lacking. I'm having to read it backwards on the screen, um, which pretty much sums up the game, Phil. I mean, we're both there. It's not as if we don't know that this was the case. The game wasn't very good. This is no certainly no um, leads a back kind of thing. They won a game, but they didn't have much going back at them. A bit like the game before, I have to say. I think the um, the conditions didn't help. Um, not only was Lee's defence good in the second half that restricted Huddersfield, but I think they found it difficult holding on to the ball coming out of their own area because it, it was torrential rain. In Amelia Brown, they've clearly got a star on the wing. Um, and, and I think Huddersfield will be fine because, again, the, the speed that they've been built up to being a... A Super League One team, it, it, you know, it, you wouldn't expect anything anything different. Um, I'm, I'm not sure again that um, we should focus too much on the quality. I think the the fact that that game was played uh, as a precursor to the men's game, that by the time it finished, there was a very healthy crowd in here. That I think it, when you see the highlights, the atmosphere was really good, um, and and I think you know. Some of those women are becoming one we've heard from Daniel Anderson becoming role models to uh, to, to a load of young girls. I think that's great, and and there's a value in that. Um, I just compare that to the privilege of watching the the York and um, and, and St Helens game on the Sportsman. It was a different type of game, yeah. played in much better conditions. Again, the crowd at York, which swelled quite significantly as it was getting towards the end, and clearly their their women were hanging on, uh, and actually. I don't think they looked like losing from about you know sixty five minutes. They were they were that confident in what they were doing. That their cover defence was superb. That was a very different game, uh, enjoyable in different ways. One you could admire the skill of Fran Goldthorpe, who scored a hat trick of tries and clearly is a talent in the game. The other you could just look at the um, the, the defensive and organisational qualities of both teams. So the, there's a lot um, going for the women's game at the moment. It's just I think it's like a, having a precious duckling in your hand. You don't want to squeeze it too tight. <laughs> And you don't want to let it fly away. I think double headers in the in those situations work. Um, I, I think you you need to expose every the, the matches to as many people as possible, and you're going to get more people filtering in to watch a game than you are as a standalone event. Same with when they had academy games before the main event in the past, and I'm never sure why they got rid of those. They can't be making enough money from people paying a fiver to go into games on a Wednesday night or a Saturday afternoon or whatever. It makes no sense, but. Um, I, th- I think the, the women appreciate it as well. I mean, the, the opportunity to play at the LNER Stadium in great facilities or Ooh. run out at Headingley. Um, you know, I, I think, again, we're doing the right thing by the women that play the game. There'll be an issue for um, IMG about, you know, at what point do women start getting paid even or recompensed? Um, you know, a lot of them, it actually costs them to play. And if we're talking about the words Super League and World Cups and, uh, uh, you know, curtain raises to to put on major television networks, then at some point, 
um, there does need to be recognition of that. And and again, I, I, I suspect IMG will be involved in saying, right, well, if we can get X amount of money in to cover the women's game, the proportion that is Y that will go to the players rather than the clubs is is how we should be looking at distributing it. So, uh, it, no, I think you're right. Quality often is told by the scoreline, but sometimes that isn't the full story. This is very much a cursory glance of what happened at the weekend because we're back on Thursday live at six with our Challenge Cup final preview. Um, Leeds 24, Wakefield 6. Uh, James Bentley, two, two tries in a sin bin. Yeah, the quality in that was probably on par with the women's game, if we were being totally honest. Um, Leeds defensively were good. Wakefield, um, I, confidence is a... Is a, 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 a I don't know, it's, it's a undefinable beast in sport um, and clearly something at the moment uh, is affecting Wakefield's attacking play the, 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 there were some players out there that you would have thought would have created more than the opportunities that they did um, so I don't think you can judge Leeds's performance on the back of that result I think they go to Warrington next and maybe that will be an interesting test of how far they've come the, the last time they had a good result at home against Hull KR they couldn't follow it up with a Good result at Salford. Um, yeah, James Bentley's first two tries for the club again, top the tackle count for his side. Um, there will be, by the time people watch this, the discipline who will have come out and they will have decided whether uh, his shot on Thomas Mins was high as he caught the ball. Um, I, I don't know. It was on the other side of the ground. The, I'm not sure that the, the video that I've seen on social media should be used as evidence in a court of law. Uh, I suspect his reputation may well go before him. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if he gets a ban. It'd be very interesting if it's uh, one game and he can, he can serve it in a reserve grade game over next weekend <laughs> when we're all at Wembley and nobody's looking. Um, Is that something like, oh, we still have to get players from Hunslet and Fev to fill the team then if he's not playing in this reserve match. What's going on? I don't know. Um, no, it wasn't the best watch. No, I mean, I, I, I said on, on Friday, um, I've seen some bad Wakefield teams, I said, and I, and I thought back to 2001. And because of the magic of the internet, I can find a match report from 2001 in The Guardian by Andy Wilson. Don't know whatever happened to him. Uh, the day when Wakefield stayed up against Salford. And I actually look at the Wakefield team, and it's actually not as bad as I thought, because you've got the likes of Gareth Ellis in there and Ben Westwood, who were obviously at the start of their career. The halfbacks were Martin Pearson and Brad Davis, which was a perfunctionary uh, pair. You know, you've got Willie Perching in there, Ryan Hudson, who should have had a much better career than they did, but we know why he didn't. Um, I look at the Wakefield team today, and it, of course, that's 20 years ago, things a lot of things have changed. On paper, that team shouldn't be performing as poorly as they are, and, and I don't know why they are. Willie Poaching says they're they're just about to turn the corner, and I said, and I've had messages from people saying Poaching out or whatever, and and he will get from me more time than anyone else because you mentioned that team from two thousand and one. You cannot convince me he was playing then fully fit at any point. So anyone who played probably for about two Bob Aitney because we were skinned to that point and still ran themselves into water. I know you shouldn't give them the benefit of doubt when they're coaching 20 years later. But yeah, no, you're going to get that from me. So I, I think there is an issue and, and it has, I think, been one at Warrington, which it looks like in, with their performance against St. Helens on Thursday night, which was one of the most enjoyable games of the season. I think when you've got a lot of players who are off contract and a huge amount of uncertainty, um, 
it must play on the players' mind. They wouldn't be human if they didn't. Um, and the other thing is, all they're going to be asked is not even so much about why did you drop that pass or what. It's all going to be where you're going to be playing next year. And I think there was um, a story at the the back end of last week. Clearly, it would appear Tom Johnson is interesting. Catalan Dragons. James Batchelor might be going to Hull KR. Um, the, uh, who, who was the other one? Oh, uh, Jacob Miller going to Castleford. I mean, again, you're talking about people that, that are integral to that team um, and there's uncertainty and, and clearly they're going at training and they will either already know what's happening or uh, we'll be hoping that their agents are, uh, uh, will be able to pull off the deal that, that they think will progress their career. And it's unsettling, no matter what people say. In any workforce, if, if half of the people in your office are wondering whether they're going to be working for that company, uh, in th- in three, four, five months' time, it's going to affect the ability to work together as a united group. And, uh, uh, you know, I, I, what Wakefield, I believe, are looking to lower the age range of uh, of, of their squad overall. It, it, apparently, it's quite old. Um, I, I think there were some other significant players. I mean, David Fafita, his stats were fantastic, you know, but is that because he knows he's coming to the end of his Wakefield career? Is he trying to impress for a new contract? Did he, did he do it in concert with the rest of his teammates or is it still a, an individual type performance? You know, all of that, I think, weighs into the mix. It's not easy. Um, Tinnauer owner, again, is another one who's been very important to Wakefield and, you know, he's got to decide whether he's staying on. It looks like there's a massive rebuilding progress and at the back of all of that, we don't actually fully know what the structure of the league's going to be the year after next, um, what the distributions are going to be. We know what they are at the moment, and they're not very much. And for a club like Wakefield, uh, um, you know, is we, we all know they're not paying the full salary cap at the moment anyway. You know, it must be, as a business, almost impossible to run at the moment. Um, and that that is clearly being reflected on on the field. I, I think the, the slight concern for, for Wakefield is that when Toulouse can... Uh, pick up the likes of Corey Norman and Daniel Alvaro. That that's more of a statement of intent about where they are at the moment. They clearly have some salary cap money losing Corella and Ford. Um, Junior Vivi left last week as well, um, so that they can reshape their squad. And I'm not sure Wakefield can at the moment. Don't know how much impact that will have when we come to the end of the season. Uh, but it's certainly a dynamic that, um, that that I think underlines what Wakefield are doing at the moment. Yeah, I think it'd be fair to say, having had a fairly stagnant squad for the last few years, and that, which is, is a surprise away from because used to a massive turnover of players. It probably is needed, but obviously not in, in the way it's happening at the minute. But that's by the by. Anyway, Leeds are back, so that's the good news now. Uh, <laughs> and they get a week off now. And Wakefield are not back, and they also get a week off. Um, Huddersfield do not get a week off, but they go in to the Challenge Cup final off the back of a one-point victory over Toulouse. Uh, so thanks for that, Giants. Uh, I'll be giving you my support on, on Saturday. 17-16, obviously we haven't seen this, but you know, g- good signs from Toulouse, but also good scrapping from Huddersfield to come back from 12-6 down at, at uh, half-time and win. Um, and, and their opponents in the final, Wigan lost at Hull FC, 31 points to 22. But again, I'm not sure what we learned from these games ahead of the Cup final, and we'll discuss that more on Thursday. I think um, what we learn is that there's a resilience about Huddersfield at the moment, which Ian Watson, Ian Watson will be disappointed that they didn't perform as well as he would have liked them to, in the knowledge that they're going to arguably their biggest game of the season in the following week. But to turn it from 16-6 down to a, a 17-16 win, 
um, that there is something there that he will be absolutely delighted about. Wigan, um, as you say, we'll discuss them on, on Thursday in more detail, but they're now going into a final on the back of two defeats. And whilst Matty Pete was saying the right things as well, and perhaps it isn't the team that they're going to play on, Saturday at Spurs anyway, and they will go in as favourites. Uh, I think I'd rather be in Ian Watson's shoes going in with a scrappy 17-16 win than, um, than Matty Pete saying, right, well, we know what we do, right? Let, let's ride that off. Let's uh, let, let's rebuild um, You know, our, our, the confidence that we have post-St. Helens in the semi-final. I, I don't think you can read too much into the results, but I think I'd be happier after this weekend if I was Ian Watson and my team had found a way to win. Uh, while uh, Wakefield were losing at Headingley, of course, which is still called Headingley, there's no other bit of it yet. Um, Castleford, with their new re-signing, uh, talismanic utility player Ryan Hampshire scored an opening try, to which everyone from Wakefield's like, why don't we keep him? Why don't we keep him? Why don't we keep him? Uh, but then they lost, so uh, saw them. Uh, Salford winning 30 points to 14, which is a great, great result for Salford. Great, great result for Salford, because that's two big scalps in uh, less than a week, in, in six days. Um, and that puts them back on track, having gone, I think it was, was it six without a victory? Mm. So, um, yeah, uh, I think Paul Rowell has every reason to be absolutely delighted with that turnaround in form over the last two weeks. And um, maybe they can start looking up rather than worrying about what's happening behind them. Uh, also, on the telly, as you mentioned, uh, Warrington 10s and Helens 12, you come off the back of that game and you think, there's no losers in this game. Saints pick up the points with a, I can't say makeshift team, but they've got plenty of key positions that aren't the players there you would expect. But Warrington come from a 12-4 deficit at halftime, nearly win the game, and um, everyone comes out of that kind of smiling. What I thought was astonishing about that game was three unbelievable try-saving tackles, all from wingers. Um, and, and, you know, Tommy Makinson in the last minute, who comes from the other side of the ground uh, to, to make sure Connor Wrench can't quite get away. Just unbelievable. Um, and, and I just sat there in awe as that second half unfolded and thought, if you are IMG, uh, if you are Channel 4, uh, this is why you're brought into the sport. And you don't have to change too much if we can get more of this. Um, Warrington looked like that was their best performance of the season, even though they didn't get the two points. I think um, they are gradually, like Wakefield, trying to just change the way they play, change the personnel that they've got, make it a bit younger and more um, less up the middle. And, and the most enjoyable thing watching Warrington this week was that they were prepared to throw the ball around on their own 10-metre line. And it may well be that Daryl Powell knows that the best way to beat St Helens is to be unorthodox and uh, unpredictable. And he's done that so many times with some of his other teams, particularly that's how Castleford's uh, modus operandi was. And it very nearly worked for him, but they looked like a team that um, were enjoying themselves. And I, I don't think you can say that too many times this year for Warrington. Um, so it'll be very interesting to see how and if and and in what manner they kick on for the rest of the season. And Daryl isn't afraid to drop some big name players. So uh, we'll see how that works out. I think Gareth Wood up at, at fullback probably did work. Um, he must have been close to being man of the match. Uh, certainly, uh, I think it, it, when he's too close to the defensive line, it, it, it's easy to uh, snuff him out, whereas at fullback, less so. Um, I think as well, the partnership he has with George Williams is, is a little bit difficult to know who is in charge in that. And I think Williams had a little bit more influence over the game um, because I think he, he was told, you know, like, you know, you're, you're going to decide the points of attack. So, and some, some exciting youngsters. So, yeah, I, I think if um, 
if I if I was a Warrington fan, I, w- I would look at that as a potential turning point for the season. Saints again, like we said about uh, Salford, that is a game that almost looked like was was going to m- go away from them. Uh, but Ignatius Parsi is just arguably the best player we've got. I mean, Chris Sarte now that he's coming off the bench, probably um, equally making the most impact. But um, Parsi is, is the ultimate bench player. You know, after 20 minutes of having Alex Wormsley knocking on your door, you then find Parsi, who not only is running into you, but but he's making Sam Cassiano look like a conservative player with his offloads and passes. I've written too much about Conservatives in the column next month, uh, which uh, takes us to uh, Channel 4 and uh, Hull Kingston Rovers versus the Catalan Dragons. Um, Hull KR8, or Hull, as we're going to call them now, and uh, Catalan's 20. Um, I don't know if, did Hull KR run out of, well, they've run out of players in the second half, not, not petrol or anything. They just ran out of players. Everyone going off injured didn't help, but... In the end, I'm not surprised by the result at all, but it does uh, fuel those who want to think that whole car rubbish now. Tony Smith announced he's, uh, he's leaving, so everyone's happy after this one. Yeah, with the players they had missing and then the ones that they lost during the game, it was an energy battle. Um, you've really got to be um, at your absolute peak to take on that the size of that Castellan pack. Well, again, wasn't the most enthralling of games, but what we did get were two magnificent try wingers' tries. Uh, yeah, Tom Davies and Fuad Yaha, how they acrobatically put the ball down. I think Yaha landed on his head. Uh, you know, that, that is as laudable now as as, as a huge tackle. Um, and, and I think, that, again, the Channel 4 audience that, that witnessed that will have thought, oh, these guys are just self-preservation is not part of their nature and I want to see a bit more of it. So, yeah, probably wasn't the greatest con- contest first half. Uh, was was very competitive, but but those two moments of brilliance alone were were worth. Um, well, you don't pay a fee for Channel Four unless the Conservatives have their way. <laughs> That's the other end of our audience gone now. We said that. Uh, who was there wanting to play some Hulk AR because he just kept throwing his body around? Um, Frankie Holton, that was it. He had about three hundred bandiers by the end of the game. Hopefully, yeah. Fra- Frankie Holton and George King are a pack you can build something around. Um, so, you know, good good news for Hulkia. They get a week off now because they'll need to rest up. And they're still only just, you know, outside the playoffs on points difference at the moment. Um, in the championship, a game of two halves at the uh, the home of the Biscuits. Uh, Batley Bulldogs 28, London 12, 12 nil up at halftime, London. I'm guessing they were going up the hill in the second half. I don't know for sure, but that's just I'm a thinking, guess. I'm thinking also that having been at Batley the previous Monday to watch them play Lee, that you know, it's very hard to play two games in less than a week in the championship. And again, that is full credit to Craig Lingard to get the best out of his team in the second half when I suspect they were still carrying some of the bruises from being absolutely mauled by Lee. It bought away for Bradford, who is, of course, still in interim coach mode, beating Newcastle 36-20. But again, 24-0 up at half time, so a good second half from the Thunder. If only we'd have implemented the Nigel uh, Wood points per half thing, but, uh, well, I guess I'd be glad we didn't know. Uh, great win for Barrow, 20 points to 18 at uh, Dewsbury. Great battle back from the Rams, but unable to get the victory there. Uh, Fev hammered Whitehaven, 78-0. Lee hammered Workington, 58-6. So both going into Wembley in good form. Um, Going to be an interesting final. We'll talk more about that on Saturday, on uh, Thursday, of course. And, and a well, big win for Hallam. Four tries on his debut for Lee and not even certain of getting in the team for uh, for Spurs. Amazing. 
And he's on the front of the paper today. And uh, Halifax have kind of come from nowhere. They've won seven in a row now because I saw it on their Twitter. Uh, as they beat York 40 points to 24, the uh, LNER. The, the thing that that's confuses the, me here... Oh, sorry for that. I was going to say, that's the performance of the weekend, I think. What confused me here is, and I know this is people are going to think, how oh, you're bashing our league again. I'm not bashing it, but they, they had Lee versus Workers on pay-per-view, right? We know the sportsman is pretty much the our league coverage with sportsman badge on it, right? So they're at the LNER stadium doing York women versus Saints women. So they've got all the equipment there. We talked about why broadcasters like double headers and triple headers the week before when we talked about Ellen Road. So York versus Halifax, which on paper is going to be a close game, might not be in reality. York could have won a hundred nil. You never know. That's that's not broadcast or on pay per view. Just a, just a mystery. Just 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 saying that. Um, in League One, Midlands nearly beat Keithland, but did twenty nine eighteen. Yeah, apparently that was um, that was very close with about yes. ten minutes ago, seventeen sixteen or something. Yeah, I think they've got a couple of late tries. And they uh, Agora was actually the two late tries, seventy six and eighty minutes. So in the paper in front of me. Uh, Midlands are improving. There is there yes. is a definite line of improvement there. Uh, Rochdale beat Doncaster forty six twenty six. Swinton beat Cornwall fifty four sixteen. Is that the most Cornwall have scored? Um, possibly in the match. I don't know. I uh, did they get 20 earlier, 22 earlier in the season? I can't remember. Second most number of points of score. And uh, <laughs> Hunslet beat West Wales 50 points to 12 on Saturday. A big win for Hunslet because obviously they haven't had the best of times recently. So uh, um, West Wales couldn't back up their victory uh, the week before. And that was all the rugby league. What happened pretty much uh, in the Northern Hemisphere? Well, in our competitions. There is Blake Ferguson on his, on his head. Did he do a do a somersault to celebrate his tries? I'm not I'm not sure um, that would be the picture I would have on the front cover of the paper, but um, I, I have to I have well to, done, Blake Ferguson. I have to take umbrage, you know, the highlights bit, which I'm the only person who reads. Uh, image. Salford Red Devils players signing all to ask for their supporters. No, because that happens after every game. The image was the, the lad Dimi from uh, Ukraine, from the Kiev Rhinos, who brought the ball on, promptly didn't give it to Chris Kendall, providing much mirth, and then came back on and gave it again. Because you know, I don't, I'm not one of these people who believes in the phrase, uh, puts things into perspective, but I ain't got a bloody clue what that kid's going through. Right? There's a war going on in these countries. Come to Leeds. Um, you know, I can't understand what, what's going on there. But he got to run out on the pitch. Looked like he had fun. All the crowd were loving it. That was it was a great moment on you know, after that the rugby was like, eh, what a great moment that was. Loved it. Brilliant. 100 percent 100 Well done him. Well done Leeds Rhinos who do so many great things. And uh, I hope he enjoys the rest of his stay in, in the country. And and more importantly, I hope he gets home soon as well. Um that we can do about that. But we'll be back on Thursday to sort more rugby league live at six o'clock with uh, everyone's favourite Australian. No, not Steve Mascot. He's busy. It's John Davidson. <laughs> must, that reminds me, I must get the biscuits in. He wants a Leeds in Crisis t-shirt as well, so I need to get one out of the cupboard for him. But uh, of course, that Leeds Rhinos men and women win. Did the, did the wheelchairs play this week? I'm guessing no, they did. But, no, but they're in the top four um, playoff. And they're in the the Challenge Cup, the Wheelchair Challenge Cup final. And uh, the City of Leeds is rejoicing that their football team will be 
playing Saudi Arabian money again next year. Did the netballers win? Did they, did they win this? They did. Oh, bloody hell. So it's no good for all those people who don't like Leeds, is it? But slowly Leeds is coming towards my part of Wakefield. So soon enough, I'll be wearing white and going... Blah, blah, blah. <laughs> for those viewing, this is not a Salford badge, it's Mallorca because they stayed up as well last day of the season in Spain. Right, how did Dumbarton do? Oh, we got relegated to the, <laughs> to the fourth division of Scottish football. Sorry, <laughs> but but, uh, but that's nothing to do with me. I, I, it's not my fault. I'm not on the pitch. Um, it's coming up now. We're going to talk about the uh, London Scholars with uh, their chief executive, Colin Brown. I should warn you that the audio quality is not very good. So. And it wasn't our fault this time. No, deal with it as you will. But uh, we'll be back on Thursday, six o'clock, live, actually live to preview uh, the excitement of the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium and the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium mystery. That is the 1895 Cup Final and the Challenge Cup Final. And uh, we'll see if anyone's got any free tickets we can sell. Um, until then, here's London Scholars and we'll catch you back on Thursday. Uh, Colin, big weekend of rugby league down in North London. Obviously, the 1895 and Challenge Cup finals at Wembley. But on Friday night, London Scholars, the annual uh, Friday night lights game is on. How, how big is that to the club uh, going forward? And, of course, for all those people heading down there this weekend to uh, turn up for? Um, yeah, I mean, obviously, it's massive for the club. It's one of our big events, um, fundraising events as well as anything. Um, but yeah, this year especially with the um, the, the the Challenge Cup being down the road um, on White Hart Lane is is really special for us. So uh, yeah, you know, obviously we're expecting that. We're hoping for a big crowd. We're hoping the weather stays half decent. Um, and yeah, we're looking forward to, to a good evening. Um, you know, it's become a bit of a tradition with a lot of our fans and and the travelling supporters for the Challenge Cup. So. Um, yeah, it's a tradition we, we really enjoy. We have a good time on, on the night, you know. We obviously hope to have a good match against Oldham. Um, but it, it's an opportunity for us to, to really kind of um, promote ourselves within the community and pr promote the game um, in London. Yeah, you're coming up against a team who, who aren't in the best of form, but I'm guessing it's not necessarily the, the result on the pitch that is the main thing this weekend. No, obviously, you know, we, we've had a tough season, so um, we, we want to turn up and, and put on a, a good display. Um, we've got a, hopefully a couple of lads back from injury. Um, but yeah, the result obviously is important, but uh, the, the, the whole event, you know, the, the, this weekend's coming should be a, you know, a celebration of rugby league. Um, you know, hopefully we'll have a couple of good games at Wembley on, on Saturday and we, we can get that all off with a good game on Friday night. You mentioned that uh, it's something for the whole of rugby league. Clearly, the um, the big debate at the moment is what will rugby league look like going ahead now that IMG have uh, taken a stake in it? it. It's a little bit low on detail, but do you see that as a positive? Do you think that's a way of re-establishing rugby league in London, perhaps? Um, I certainly hope so. Um, as you say, there, there, there's not a lot of detail um, at the moment. Um on paper, it sounds like an exciting proposition, you know, getting involved with IMG and, and all of the benefits that that can bring to, to promoting the sport. Um, how that's going to kind of help us in London at the moment, I don't know. I mean, I'd certainly hope that um, we, we can possibly, you know, get some of our um, RFL distribution back through it. Um, you know, this year has been incredibly difficult for us with, with the drop in, in the, the RFL distribution. Um, and, and I think both of the London teams' needs um, 
a little bit of help to, to really get us back on track. So we were both struggling this season. Um, and, and I'd like to see the game expanded. Um, although, you know, I'm not going to mention any names. I mean, there are some clubs that, that seem to be against that and want to keep it up in the um, in rugby league heartlands. But I do think for the benefit of the game, it should be a... A, 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 a national game and, and there should be more than just us and, and Cornwall really representing the South and if IMG sort of came to you and said we're looking at a strategy we think that London is a key element to it and that's going to help us not only promote the game in the media perhaps but there's a there's a talent pool there that perhaps um, always leaves the area rather than stays in it and they gave you a blank sheet of paper and said we'd like your recommendations of uh, how we could help the game initially, but going forward, what do you think it looks like? Do you have sort of four or five key points that you've been stressed Yeah, I think it, it all starts at grassroots level. You know, we, we as scholars, we try to get into a lot of schools, but um, I think we would need some some help just to, to really increase our presence in, in the, 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 the local schools, um, get the game played at uh, junior level a lot more. Um, at the moment, you know, one of the problems we have is that if we want to uh, match a junior level, you know, we, we're asking parents to drive their kids an hour away, an hour and a half away, just to, to get a game because we have no local competition. Um, so I, I do think, you know, some help in, in actually a grassroots level, a junior level, um, just supporting the, the clubs, whether that be supporting with maybe making transport available. I think we need to start at that level um, and build up from there. What we've got this year in Scholars um, is, is a lot of homegrown players um, that have come through the junior ranks. Um, but we know that the good ones are going to go. Um, and, and that's part of life, you know, that we, we understand that there's a pathway there. Um, and we want our juniors to, to follow that pathway to, to come up to playing in our open age teams and hopefully to get into to either an academy at Broncos or or um, or play for us but we want to stay in London um, so yeah I think that there's a lot that can be done um, but I think we really would need to just sit there and we, with the RFL and IMG and, and really discuss and see what what their feeling is with regards to to support whether that be financial or not um, yeah, we, we do have uh, some ideas of, of where we can take it. And, and we want to work closely with Broncos as well to promote the game in London, and not just talking about London scholars, you know. I think, you know, Rugby League in London needs to, to expand and, and, and maybe be better advertised. Um, yeah, there's a lot of things that we can do. Do you see League One continuing as it is, or do you see things changing in the, the third tier of professional rugby league? Um, I think it's going to be very difficult for it to continue as it is. Um, I, <laughs> it's difficult to say, but I, you know, because again, we don't know what's going to happen with IMG. But I, I would like to see it continuing, but I do fear that maybe it will become um, an, an amateur league. Um, I'm not sure that there's enough interest in the sport at this moment in time to, to warrant a third professional league I hope I'm wrong um, and, and obviously we, you know, we, we, we work towards continuing as a, as a professional league um, 
I'm not sure that there's interest there. I mean, I think I, I, I was speaking to someone over the weekend about rugby league and the attendances, and, and it's been pleasing to see this year. You know that its attendances seem to be great again. I, you know, a couple of years ago, I was getting very, very worried. You know, just even looking at Super League, and you look at empty stadiums and. Um, and, and then obviously I think maybe the pandemic in some strange ways helped that because there's more interest coming back after the pandemic um, but, but we need to maintain that but we need to, to, to increase attendances I think across country not just in London but obviously especially in London there's not enough we haven't got enough outreach to, to local communities and it's predominantly a football area um, but yeah we shall see just, just a couple of thoughts spring to mind with what you've said there. Have you seen any um, boost in interest because the game's now being shown regularly on Channel 4 would be the first question. The second one is it's 42 years since Fulham started and so you can't really even call London a development area anymore. Um, is the next step maybe a centre of excellence for the south of England? Because you say you want to work closer with the yeah. Broncos. There's some good work being done in some of the community clubs in and around London, uh, West Warriors, just to name one off the top of the head. Yeah. Um, and obviously it reaches out towards the east and Bedford women are, you know, had a good win this week and as did the Broncos women. Do, do you see that it now needs to be more of a concerted, cooperative effort rather than... Yeah. Yes, I, I do. I mean, I think, you know, we've spoken to, to Broncos a lot over the, the, the last two or three years, um, trying to figure out what we can do to to strengthen the game in London um, and the South East. Um, and certainly the, the plan is to get involved with the community teams, which we've been doing um, this year, um, to, to try and build up um, the game. Not just in London, but across the southeast, it's something that we 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 want to continue doing. We've looked at setting up um, a ladies' team ourselves. Um, there simply isn't in, enough teams for them to play against. To be perfectly honest, um, but yeah, I agree with you. You know, it's not just a London thing; it, it is a southeast thing, and we will be working with other clubs going forwards to to kind of promote the game um, and expand the game in the southeast. With regards to your first question around um, Channel 4, I think it's been excellent. Um, I, I think the coverage on Channel 4 is fantastic. I think it's very, very well presented. I think Helen Skelton does a fantastic job. Um, and, and, and I think it, it is making a difference and long may continue. Uh, Colin, I know you're a busy man, so thank you very much for your time. Uh, best of luck on Friday. I hope we get a big crowd down there for the uh, the game against Oldham Friday Night Lights and uh, uh, for more future and uh, success in the future, even for Brooklyn uh, down in London and with the Scholars. Great. Thank you very much. Nice talking to you guys. Network.